Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. It's game week again. We'll get to talk about the USC Trojans come from behind victory 28-27 over the Arizona State Sun Devils on Saturday morning in the Coliseum. So we're going to break down what we think of each position group and how they perform, answer a lot of your questions about the game. And we're going to do that with Keely, your follower on Twitter at Keely is my name. Of course, you can follow her on the Peristyle as she posts all her stories and her videos. The instant analysis ones are going like four or five times a week, so make sure you check her out on all those. Of course, we do Tunnel Vision and this very podcast. You get a lot of chance to hear from Keely and what she thinks about the Toronto football team. If you have any questions or comments for the show, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you could call or text us at 424-254-9141. You can leave us a voicemail, try to keep it brief. Or send us a text. We'd really, though, love for you to go to the Apple Podcasting app on any of your Apple devices. Leave us a five-star rating, some kind of positive review, any comments, feedback, suggestions you have for the show, and any questions you put up there. Boom. We're going to bump you up to the top of the list. We love to get that. It really helps grow the show when you rate us and subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts. And I think we got a I think we have a rating from a, a new rating, uh, Keely. How are you doing today, first of all, and uh, what's going on? Hello, hello, Ryan. Doing well. Excited to podcast. We're in the swing of things, which is fun. Hopefully it continues. The SEC is is crumbling as we speak, but I'm glad to have some Pac-12 football back. We do have some Pac-12 football back. Of course, a third of it was canceled last weekend, and now three of the SEC games are canceled as of we're recording this on Tuesday. It could get worse. I don't know. But uh, hopefully the Pac-12... It gets better. There's some some positivity out there uh, that, that, you know, these games could happen. But, you know, Cal and Utah are the ones you really got to watch right now. It seems like Arizona's okay. Seems like USC's okay. So at least that game seems to be rolling. Uh, you know, Arizona missed their first game. So this one looks like as of now, as of Tuesday, it's happening. But we didn't get the cancellations last week until Thursday and Friday. Yeah, you're putting some bad mojo on it, Ryan. <laughs> Just oh, knock on wait. wood. It sounds good. It sounds like we'll be okay. Did I jinx us? Did I, did I jinx oh, everything? Oh, you better not. I hope not. <laughs> I don't want to jinx college football. But yeah, no. watching the SEC, what, LSU had some problems. Uh, Texas A&M, I believe, had some problems. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a some game. I mean, the LSU-Alabama game isn't happening. But I, I think overall, before we go up and jump into this, I think that could be a good thing for the Pac-12. Uh, there's no margin for error. And if the other conferences are postponing some games, I think the idea of, hey, let's push out this, the, the hard date of the college football playoff stuff, like, let's just push it back a little bit and, and make this a little different. So I know they don't want to do it if they don't have to, but if the mighty powers of the SEC have to cancel a bunch of games and can't get them all in by the deadline, we might see that pushed out a little bit. Really? See, I just feel like the college football entity is so... It does. It's not very flexible. So I feel like maybe if SEC puts his weight on it, maybe it will start to be flexible. But I know the Pac-12 tried to get things moving as far as uh, the college football playoff committee deciding things and whatnot. But I don't know. Do you think it could move, Ryan? 
Well, yeah, the, the Pac-12, no. That's like, well, you know, yes, you're, going, obviously. you're going on a family <laughs> vacation. It's like, where are you going to want to go? And like the little brother's like, I want to go to, nope, we're not going there. So you're just like, but, you know, big brother who's home from college and, you know, lives in the garage, you know, the, in the garage or whatever. He's like, he's got some ideas. That's the SEC. Yeah, I think they're going to, they're going to listen to him. So, they have um, yeah, I think we're going to get, he's like Fonzie living in the garage from happy days. Uh, sure. Yeah. Do we, no, do we have a new review on the Apple Actually, podcast? Oh, we have nice. two new reviews. I don't know if you've read them yet, Ryan. Um, I have not. We have one from Cameron uh, who gave us five stars and says, Epic, great podcast. I don't miss a show. Can't wait for all the epic content coming at us USC fans all season long. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, and thank then- you. From what I have, I've skimmed it, but I think we have a touching one from Daniel, uh, who gave us five stars and said, let's go get a natty. He said, I started listening to the podcast about a year and a half ago. I found it while I was driving to Southern California to see my grandma. She was a SC alum and a diehard USC football fan. She's the reason I am a diehard SC fan as well. Not many people call their grandma every Saturday to talk football, but her and I had a special re- relationship like that. In 2020 fashion, she passed away last week at the age of 91, and I will continue to be a lifelong Trojan, and I will continue to fight on because of her. Thank you for all the great work to everyone that works on the podcast, and thank you for reading this. So, Daniel, Aww. so sorry about your grandma, but we hope uh, we can provide you some good memories uh with talking with your grandma about usc football and thanks for listening we appreciate it that is so special and to have a kind of that kind of bond in that relationship and every time you see something good with usc football you can think of your grandmother which is a special gift and so that's so great uh we're really happy to uh see stuff like that so thanks for leaving the the review and obviously uh uh great stuff there we appreciate you you know what you're saying and awesome that that bond between you and your grandmother would really made you the, the SC football fan you are today. So that that's so cool. Yeah. She sounds like a great, she was a great woman. So uh, happy that you had that relationship, Daniel. Yeah. And it's 2020 and we just, yeah, crazy stuff was happening, but at least something's good coming out of this. And I, I love the fact that you have something special that you can remember your grandmother by all the time. So hopefully they, they'll give you some really good memories this season. There was, I mean, as far as the first game, <laughs> your grandma missed. Holy cow! Like that was, uh, that was something. That was something else. Um, yeah, I think he left that review before the game. So, I, I, yeah, I'm curious what he thought about with his grandmother uh, after watching this one, Keely. Uh, you know, 28, 27, insane comeback. 99.8 percent chance of losing the game with three minutes left, and somehow USC pulls it out. It was insane, right? And it's one of those games where you wish there were USC fans in the stadium. You know, yeah, I think it would have just been much more memorable because it had a little bit of a scrimmage feel, if I'm being honest. It was just a little eerie at times, but just a crazy, crazy USC game. You know, I think I tweeted with three minutes left in the game, like, you know, the the most USC thing to happen is for them to win this game when they have no business winning this game. So, you know, it's it's... It's a weird year, but USC looked familiar in the sense that it just seemed like it was talent relying, just USC relying on its talent to cover up, you know, sloppy mistakes, poor coaching, just just not looking its best. And so, you know, not not to go on a Dan rant, I'll try and keep it short, Ryan, but it was just That's a crazy okay. game and 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 yeah, it was it was crazy to be there in person. And I'm sorry you had to watch it from home, Ryan. <laughs> no, that's I I didn't mind watching it from home. I, you know. I poured myself a mimosa with pineapple, which I like, and then got a great breakfast burrito from Fanny's down the street in Redondo Beach. I've been, it's really famous breakfast burritos. I've never had one. 
Uh, they were a little worried because it took like took a little while to get them. Uh, so, but I got back in time. I was listening to the pregame show and all that stuff. But yeah, there was that that familiar. Ah, oh, we've been down this road before. <laughs> there was like, we've seen that. We've seen this story. We've read this book. Uh, there was a lot of that. And at the by the end, you're like, yeah, I don't think USC's winning this game. But it was pretty 2020 for them to pull it out like that. And uh, you know, for for Herm Edwards, it has to be gut wrenching. Like you're you're obviously we're always looking at it from the USC point of view. ASU point of view, man, I, I couldn't imagine being Herm Edwards. I know he said that was like one of the, that's one of those ones he's never going to forget. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Colin Cowherd was the one who said, if, if ASU lose this, loses this, I won't be surprised if Herm Edwards throws up on the sideline. I mean, your team <laughs> tried to do as much as it could. And then at the end of the day, you have such wonky plays happen. You know, Amon Ross St. Brown tipping the ball up for Brew McCoy. Uh, I, I think I tweeted it last night. If you look at the window in which... Keen Slow is through that touchdown pass to Drake London. It was just so, so small. And Drake London with the fingertip grab, pulling it in with, he was not going to let that ball go anywhere but in his grasp. So it was just, just, you know, that's what I said. It's USC's talent at the end of the day just edges out Arizona State. But that goes back to my main point is, should you be this close with Arizona State? I know they are a good opponent, and we circled this game coming into the season. It's probably one of the hardest on USC's schedule, but this is also a team that some of USC's coaches said were national championship. That's their goal, and they did not play like that at all. I, it's it's It was interesting just seeing, because I follow, like, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, who's a former NFL scout, some other guys on, on Twitter, and during the game, just seeing they're usually they're reserved. And I think DJ said, you know, USC looks terrible. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you in a game in a season where you don't have a lot of games, you're trying to you're talking about the college football playoff, and you're trying to get into that conversation. You have to pass the eye test, and this was just a game where you just did not look good to the casual viewer. You know, so it wasn't great on that front. So it's just a it's a mixed bag for me for this game. You know. Um, I don't. I I keep wanting to rant, Ryan, but I'll let you take over. <laughs> no, I like I like what you read. That's good. We want to get your opinion because you you know, you were there. You got, you have a smart opinion on these things. But the I mean, what you said originally about the talent—that's part of like this whole Groundhog Day thing. It's like, oh, what happens? Did USC talent just someone go out and make a play? And was it Drake London or Stephen Carr or whoever would just have to like will your way through because based on their athletic ability, you have players and players make plays, but it seems like USC relies on that almost exclusively as opposed to, oh, you know, we have a great game plan coming in. We prepared this team well. It didn't look like they were as well prepared, but they still have talent. And the talent, that the talent to me is what's shown through, not really the preparation. Exactly. And that's the thing. You know, if you look at this game in a vacuum, I think one would be able to say, hey, you know, they were off for probably the longest offseason of their lives. They had some nerves. I know Brew McCoy talked about how he was really nervous to play just because he himself had so much time off. So you, you take into account like the rusty, there's nerves, et cetera, et cetera. And in a vacuum, you can say, hey, this is an understandable performance from USC. But at the same time. These are not pandemic issues that we saw from USC. Turnovers, you saw fumbles from veteran guys. Vivai Malapai, you know, we talked to him this morning uh, in the press conferences, and he said it was a, a selfish move. He, he said he apologized to his teammates because he, he reached out for the ball on a first down, which you don't do, you know. And, and Tyler Vaughn, someone, your guy, right? Uh, someone who knows better than to be casual with the football, gets it popped out. Um, so stuff like that where, you know, turnover margin was something that we've heard Clay Hilton talk about 
about a lot. You know, that's not a pandemic issue. And then, you know, penalties. Penalties were an issue at times. Something we've heard from Clay Helton as well. Fundamentals, something we've heard from Clay Helton as well. And, you know, just... The frustrating part, too, is, and I talked about it a lot on this podcast in the preseason, is how much do you pay attention to what the coaches are saying on Zoom because we can't watch practice? Like, how much do you take it for a grain of salt? And you heard Clay Hilton raving about Palie Naotaote and how much Todd Orlando has helped him and how much he's grown. And to be honest, Ryan, I just didn't see that. I, what Helton said didn't really translate onto the field. And then, you know, even from Graham Harrell, you got a sense that USC's offensive line had really taken a leap in training camp and that they were they felt good about the chemistry uh, within the starting five. And I just, there were times where it just felt like, okay, four guys got it, but one guy messed up on his assignment, you know? And so you can't just, you can't have one guy uh, messing up his assignment every other play. You know, I feel like we even saw that a couple years ago, not even under Graham Harrell or, or Tim Drevno. So it just seems like things that are not, we've seen this year after year and the common denominator is Clay Helton. It doesn't matter if you change the assistants or the coordinators, you're still going to have a team that has to overcome sloppy mistakes and, and poor coaching. So, you know, it's just, it's frustrating to see just as a reporter, it's kind of groundhog day again. So, you know, this is a team that was supposed to play Alabama and struggled with ASU. Now, like I said, there's always the caveat about uh, the pandemic and being sloppy and whatnot, but still to me, it just didn't seem like the effort uh, that you should have seen from USC, given how much the team talked about their their goals and aspirations to be a college football playoff team and to get to the Pac-12 championship. Now, could they still get to the Pac-12 championship? Probably and likely, just because the Pac-12 South is that bad. But but it's just not. It's overall it just it wasn't an inspiring performance, except for the last maybe four minutes of the game. That was inspiring. But yeah. you know, again, that's the talent just coming through. That's not uh, a well coached team, I would yeah. say. I, I agree with you 100%. I love your Dan rants. This is good stuff. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go down like position by position group. Just kind of go through. I just give a few thoughts on each one before we do. I just want to thank our sponsor Trader Joe's. They've been great to us throughout this pandemic and years before that. We love working with them and I uh, love checking it out. And I always go on the website and something that catches my eye. Again, I'm gonna go savory Keely today. Uh, so there is a wow. oat Chardonnay Toscano cheese and. I'm a sucker for cheese plates. I think when I traveled through Europe uh, early, you know, 15 years ago, like there was just like crackers and cheese, like all over the place. I mean, I love this. This is great. Why don't I do this more <laughs> at home? So I try to do it more at home now. Uh, but they got, they got some green grapes they have awesome crackers at Trader Joe's, a whole bunch of different varieties, but this Toscano cheese, they've done different things with it. Like with Syrah wine, or they had a black pepper crusted one. This one's with a buttery Chardonnay. So it looks good. They pairs it well with Chardonnay. So you get some cheese, you get some crackers, maybe a little honey, some, uh, some green grapes. It looks awesome. So you need one of those little wooden boards, Keely. So if you don't want of your house, you got to get one, just put some cheese and crackers on it. Boom. And it's a great, uh, great little appetizer. So I got to check this cheese out. I love, I love getting some different cheeses and trying them. Nice. I, I, I feel like a shark, a charcuterie board. Is that how you say it, Ryan? Yeah, I always mess it up. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's everyone should have one of those every once in a while. It's a nice little treat for yourself, especially if you can't go anywhere because of quarantine, have what, have a board like that. And buy all those little items that Ryan said. It sounds good, Ryan. <laughs> it is good. I, I need to do that more because, like, oh, what am I going to have for? I'm I'm such a s sweet tooth. I'll get candy or whatever chocolate. Yeah. And it's like just get some cheese and crackers. That'll fill you up a little bit. And there, you know, it's good. And that that looks like a really good cheese. But I, yeah, and I like it to tell you what to pair it with because if you get a, like a certain kind of cheese and you have like a 
Pinot Noir, like, ah, oh, this would be better with a white wine. Like, you know, you got to make sure you, you know, pair it with the right stuff. So, uh, good stuff with Trader Joe's. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start on the offensive side, Keely. Sure. And, uh, well, I'll just start at the quarterback with, uh, Keaton Slovis. It's funny. I looked at his numbers. He was 40 of 55, 381 or 382, whatever it was. And two touchdowns at a pick could have had a second pick. And I was like, yeah, that percentage just isn't as good as last year, but that's actually 72% or whatever. It's really the same <laughs> as last year. And I was like, kind of like that is, huh? But it didn't, it didn't seem like it. Uh, they talked, you know, Clay Helton talked about the 11 checkdowns that they liked. He did that. Um, that's some high percentage stuff that he would throw out there, but um, I don't know what do, uh, you know, what, what did you think of Keaton Slovis' performance? You know, it was odd, just kind of what you alluded to, Ryan. You, It was one of those things where you looked at the stats at the end of the game and you're like, oh, whoa, he threw for 381 yards? Like, USC had over 500 yards of total offense? Like, it just felt so anticlimactic, and I think that's what happens just when you have as many turnovers as USC did. You're not going to get the points that, that they needed. Um, you know, I thought I thought his performance was okay. It, it was funny, Ryan, because you and I talked, I think, on Sunday about how it just seemed like Keaton Slopes' ball was just not crisp. It kind of had a wobble to it. It just was not what we've seen from Keenan Slovis and you asked Graham Harrell about it, but he didn't seem like he understood what you're talking about. He didn't. Um, it's, it's so weird. So he said like, he's up in the press box. Uh, you know, it's like, you're on the moon. You don't really, you can't really tell. I'm like, first of all, I know Keely, you could see it from the press box. Like, yes, I was in the press the box TV and box. I could see it. <laughs> he's watched film on the game. He's, you know, he's coaching the quarterback. He knows what he's doing. So, that's felt a little disingenuous that he didn't know if the ball was getting a little wobbly. And I, you know, I tried to watch even the deep balls, like they would be accurate, but they were wobbling. That's all it was. I mean, I, I said like, he still was accurate. I didn't feel like he was missing throws and he didn't throw it into coverage a lot. There was, you know, he threw the pick that was, you know, probably a bad decision. And then the other one that went through the defender's hands and went to Drake London's hands, Yeah. you know, uh, get that kind of lucky bounce like that easily could have been picked as well. But it was moving a lot. And I looked even at some of the shorter throws where you're just kind of slinging it to the side. It wasn't clean. And then I kind of gave him an out. I'm like, you know, with the ball slick. And, you know, the, this is a little concerning because he said, you know, they were breaking into these new balls and they're trying to, you know, get him like, well, shouldn't you have this already done before you go into your first game? Like you had 10 and a half months or whatever to get ready for this. Like get the balls that you want. Like not like you get to the game. You're like, oh, man. I wish we broke in these balls. <laughs> I was like, what the, I, I don't, you know, I'm not like, I think Matt Barkley did a video back in the day of like, it was something like preparing the peaches or I forget what it was, but it was something like that where they're, they scuff them up or whatever they got to do. And like the quarterback goes through them all and he picks the ones he wants, um, picking the peaches. Maybe it was. And, and like, you really, there was like a whole process of like picking out these balls. So maybe it was that he said, maybe the, you know, that's why they turned the ball over as much as they did. Maybe it was a little slick. Uh, so I don't know that, that just, it seemed weird. I, I, it's hard. I have a hard time buying that the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator didn't see the ball fluttering. Like I saw it fluttering. Yeah. The whole thing was kind of weird. Even him going into the whole, like, Oh, the grass was kind of slick and it was a little humid. It was just like, wait, what? It was, it was an odd sequence of question and answering, but you know, um, I, the other thing that stood out to me, Ryan is, you know, Helton said, Keaton obviously had rust, but he also mentioned the arm injury that he had at the Holiday Bowl. And we mentioned it before, you know, Keaton didn't get cleared until the first, the week prior to the one uh, spring camp practice that they had. But 
I don't know if that's just Helton using pulling up excuses because that seems pretty convenient to mention the arm injury after Keen's performance. But it makes you wonder: Are they protecting him a little bit? Are they like? Is he still feeling that injury that he had at the Holiday Bowl? Is he 100% healthy? I don't want to start like I forgot what that tumor rumor that we that joke inside joke we had on the Tunnel Vision a couple seasons ago. I don't want to start like any rumors here or conspiracy theory. But it just makes you wonder: Okay, if they're talking, if Graham Harrell's not acknowledging the wobbly ball and and Harold and Helton's talking about an arm injury what what's going on but you know I I you just hope that this was actual rust and that Keen Slovis will look better after a game under his belt and like I said it's been a long off season and maybe that that hinders things and so I think this is one of those things where you just have to sit tight and hope that Keen Slovis looks like the Keen Slovis we know and you just don't you hope that it's, he doesn't regress at all you know I think the the jump from 2016 to 2017 with Sam Darnold was disappointing and and you just hope that the, that doesn't happen in this case. Yeah. Um, let's go to receivers. Um, good group. Obviously, we know they were studs. Drake London was a stud. I'm on Ross yeah. St. Brown. I mean, I, I don't know what you want to say about him. Like, yeah, they played well. Like, Tyler Vaughn's probably could have played a little better. He didn't. He had that fumble. Um, you know, he was catching some short passes and stuff. But, you know, I think as a group, uh, they seemed to perform pretty well. Yeah, I thought um, Drake London really established himself you know, we saw him come on late in 2019 and this is him, you know, as a full contributor and Graham Harrell said as much in his Tuesday press conference, he was like, Drake now understands that he's not just that freshman getting some touches. He's, he's part of the offense and he's acting like he's above a freshman level, which he is at this point. So, uh, and then just get, seeing Brew McCoy, seeing that physicality was good. Uh, you know, Ryan, I was curious, what did you think of Amon Ra as the outside receiver? You know, it's, uh, I- he was effective. He he did some crossing route stuff, so he kind of got to go back in the middle a little bit too. Um, but I, you know, I think the one thing I wasn't like noticing some kind of huge drop off. Obviously, you know, there's you know, Drake London had a you know the 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 big game out there, but he seemed pretty comfortable to me. Um, I didn't have any you know issues with what he did. Did you did you feel like he was uncomfortable out there at all or? No, I mean, they moved him into the slot, and I felt like he picked up, like, a 30-yard catch over the middle in that, like, four-minute sequence uh, at the end of the game. And I just felt like maybe he might be more productive just at, at the slot position where it's kind of his home or it's been his home for the past couple of years. I don't know. That's something that I'm going to have to watch all season long to see if that's – where is he more effective? I'm not sure. But, you know, as on the whole, you know, we know what we're getting from this wide receiver group. They're talented. And and US and ASU's DB core – uh, is one of the best little face all season. So I, I don't think you have really any complaints on that front. I loved Amon Ross St. Brown's big block on uh, um, on, uh, on Jack Jones. So that was a that was a nice one. That uh, battle was was crazy to watch just because no one was in the stands. And so it felt like a practice, you know, on in one-on-ones when the whole team gets into it and starts cheering. Like USC's team on the sideline was like like ooing and aahing at every move that both of them made. So it was it was kind of a pandemic uh, wrinkle that you could hear the team kind of getting into the 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 battle. It was just interesting. Nice. Uh, why don't we do running backs? And uh, I, you know, we talked pregame. I thought Stephen Carr would have a better year, look more explosive, just from what we were told about, uh, you know, his vertical leap and stuff like that. He did. He looked much better. He looked like you know what we saw from a couple years ago. Uh, you know, I thought he was good. You know, Marquis Step had the great uh, touchdown. You know, jumping over the pile looked like Marcus Allen. Favai Malpei had a couple of really huge runs on the game-winning drive to start that drive, and uh, you know, he, you know, he fumbled. Marquis Step also fumbled. Um, you know, there were some issues with short yards, but I wasn't really going to place that on the running backs. That'll be more of an offensive line thing. 
but overall, I thought that, you know, they, they ran the ball somewhat effectively and you had some, some big plays that, you know, Stephen Carr, I think helped himself a lot. He just looked like a different back and that gives, I think it gives the offense a lot more options. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Carr, he didn't look like he had the happy feet that we saw in 2019. He looked like he had more a better stride to him. And then, you know, honestly, Ryan, I was surprised that Marquise Stepp and Vivai Malapai were ready to go as much as they were. And that was one of those things where my skepticism actually didn't work out in that case, where um, you know I thought, based on Helton's warning, that they were not going to be ready to go. But they were, and Vi said on Tuesday that he's still 100% healthy. And he, he said it, it took some warming up in the game, but he, he felt good. And ultimately you saw him kind of spur that, that second uh, touchdown run in the, the last four minutes. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, same with you, Ryan, I think we'll get into this when we talk about the offensive line. I don't think you can really place all those issues on them on the running back. So we'll wait till we get to the offensive line. Yeah. And uh, if you look at the grades, like shotgun posted the, the pro football focus grades and actually the linemen were up near the top. Um, you know, Jalen McKenzie and, uh, you know, Andrew Voorhees, uh, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, I think, didn't have the highest grade, but he got a lot of praise just for, like, basically nothing bad happened uh, when he was out there. And, it, it, you know, outside of that left tackle spot, I think there were some issues with the rest of the guys, uh, you know, on the offensive line. And that was just, I don't know, it was just a different sort of game when you look at the push that Arizona State was able to get up the middle, uh, you know, so many short yardage situations failed. They got, there were some successes too. And there were some, you know, uh, I think that's definitely had some good plays, but there were some plays where like a Liam, uh, Jimmins doesn't pick up the, you know, slide over and, and pick up the stunt. And the, the defensive lineman comes, you know, rushing in on, uh, Keaton Slovis on, you know, unchecked. So there was definitely some breakdowns. I think Clay Helton said there was one physical beat, but I, I can't imagine there was only one physical beat. But there was <laughs> there was definitely some issues. And you know, even combi- a combination with the tight ends, we'll get to in a second. I think there were some blocking issues overall yeah. because you know it wasn't all the time, but there was definitely times where Slovis was uh, you know forced out to do something he didn't really want to do, or they you know the short yardage stuff. You got to be, you got to have a higher, you know, batting average than what the, what we saw from USC uh, that game. Yeah, of course. I mean, that was the big question coming into the season was not only what is the chemistry like between the starting five, but can USC run the ball when everyone in the stadium knows that they're going to run the ball? And I don't think Saturday proved that they can. Um, And I think part of that is just inconsistency on the line. And then Harold admitted a little bit today that part of that is just play design. Um, And we'll get into that when we talk about the tight ends. But, you know, I thought Elijah Tucker looked good for his first real start at a left tackle position. So that is something that USC fans should be excited about but you know the interior offensive linemen I just don't think they're consistent enough right now um you know Andrew Voorhees is playing on the left as a left guard because they wanted to keep uh Liam Jimmins where he's most comfortable which is right guard but that's also kind of out of position for uh Voorhees a little bit and then you know Liam Jimmins is the least experienced on the offensive line and at times it definitely showed that um and then I I've just I've been kind of asking around just because we can't go to practice I'm just trying to see if anyone has any good practice tidbits for me and and something that I picked up was the fact that you know Jalen McKenzie and Liam Jimmins prior to the 2020 season were just known as not really uh, good communicators on the line um and so then when you put them when you put both of them together on that right side you're gonna you're not gonna pick up things maybe as much as you would if you had two people who communicated better so i think that's something that they're trying to work on going forward um and and i noticed the right side of the line i think more so as the game 
as I watch the game live. And so I think that that stands out when you're actually noticing it live because so many things are happening. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting going forward to see Brett Nealon's status. He, uh, from what I heard, he had an ankle injury during the the week and played through it uh, on Saturday. So I know he had some beats and I'm wondering how much that ankle injury played into that, whether or not he'll be able to go. I'm not sure Clay Hilton listed him as questionable. I thought Justin Didis did a good job stepping in for the most part uh, for Nilon. And I know Hilton praised him as not missing a beat on that front. So um, I think Nilon, I mean, excuse me, Didis is really physical. And so I'm curious to see if he gets more time at that just at home at that center position, if he'll maybe edge out uh, Nilon in that sense, not sure. But yeah, so, you know, it's, it's hard because I think pass blocking, we've seen USC kind of be consistently, it's, it's good enough, you know, but as far as run blocking, it's just, you can't get those tough yards when USC needs you to. And so that, I don't know how you can be a championship team or want to be a championship team when you can't run the ball when you need to and really force it down a defense's throat, you know? So uh, it'll, I, we got to see how it looks going forward, but it wasn't the best from USC's offensive line on Saturday. Yeah. We'll have to watch Dietrich because like when you have those goal line things, he's just a, you know, He's like a brawler. So, I mean, you expect him to go out there and just kind of push some people around. And that's pretty much what you need on those situations, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. less about, here's my footwork. And here, no, just like you you push them forward. And that wasn't happening. That's just physicality, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I remember talking to a defensive player, I think, last season. And they were like, you know, Dietrich is so, such a nice guy. He's a monster. He's so mean on the field. So it's, that's physicality, I think, like you said, Ryan. You need that boost. And if, if Dietrich is going to provide it, then maybe you go with that. You know, I, whatever works, honestly. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to – we'll end up the offense with the tight ends. And just – before I watched, rewatched the game and before I looked at the grades and all that kind of stuff, my impression was we heard this, we kind of got maybe some smoke blown a little bit about the tight ends going to be utilized more. And I mean, I just came away from the tight ends really shouldn't even been out there. And unfortunately, looking at shotguns uh, chart where he charts every play, um, they really were out there quite a bit. There was a lot of formations that used the tight end. There was even one one or two that used like two tight ends, but there was just not as many. There's a few four wide receiver, one running back situation, but there was more with three tight ends, uh, one, I mean, three wide receivers, a tight end and a running back. And they'd move it around. Sometimes it'd be an H back where they'd be kind of like in a fullback situation. Um, sometimes it'd be split out wide. So it looked like four, four wide, but it would really be, you know, three wide receivers and a tight end. They had a tight end out there almost every play. And, to me, if you're going to do that, like you're using one eleventh of your personnel for this position, they have to be more productive. Uh, Shotgun put up the pro football focus grades. The two lowest graded offensive players, there's 18 offensive players that played, were Jude Wolf and Eric Kromenhoek. And, um, you know, that's that, you can't do that. Jude Wolf got more snaps. He was a 41.5 overall. Kromenhoek was a 37.5. Wolf had, I think, two catches for like four or five yards. Kromenhoek, I don't even believe, was targeted at all. Um, so his run block grade grading was bad. He got flagged for offensive pass interference, trying to block on a receiver screen. Uh, Jude Wolf was the target of the uh, when you know the only interception that Keaton Slovis threw. Jude Wolf was the guy that he was throwing. It's not necessarily his fault, but just when you know you're out there, there's like a plus minus thing in the, in the NBA. It's like it doesn't necessarily you know. 
that doesn't necessarily mean you, but usually it's just like, hey, when I'm on the field, these things are happening. When those guys were on the field, just nothing good seemed to be happening around where they were. And so if that's the case, I, I mean, I, th- I would rather just see four wide receivers out there. But my overall thought was, man, the tight ends weren't good. They weren't targeted very much. They didn't block very well. Uh, you know, gave up some sacks. And, you know, the one you, you mentioned, Graham Harrell talked about, it was, I think it was a fourth of one play that the Stephen Carr got hit in the backfield. Yeah. And uh, it was Merlin Robinson coming in from USC's, you know, the line's right side. Mm-hmm. Wolf was on the left side. And, and Graham kind of took, you know, he said that that was his fault. Wolf tried to get over and block Robinson, but he did Robertson, but he didn't make it. Um, I don't know if that's a thing you could recognize and kind of shift over, but for whatever reason, it just what I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be too harsh, but the tight ends weren't productive and the numbers from PFF uh, show what I thought I saw with my eyes. Yeah. And that's the odd thing is that, you know, tight ends coach, John David Baker made it clear that for them to be out there, they have to prove their worth. And I just didn't feel like they did, to be honest, to continue on your, your criticism, Ryan, it just didn't feel like they did. And I know shotgun asked Graham Harrell uh, this morning, you know, what do you need more from the tight end position? And Harrell for his part sounded pretty optimistic that they'll get better uh, as a position group. And he said that they need them. They're, they're, important for the offense and it makes you wonder how much how much are you keeping the tight ends because they seem like some type of security blanket as like an extension of uh, just for the offensive line to add another body there to help block you know is that why they're they're doing that are you not confident that you can have an empty set in that sense you know I I don't know what I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was just a position group that was very useful, to be honest, Ryan. I don't know. I, am I being too harsh? I know you were too, but it just doesn't seem like um, – I, I just – I don't know, especially just given the fact that JDB talked so much about how they had to prove their worth. They've been the they, – and, and he said in practice they've been the security blanket for Keaton Slovis. He said, you know, when Keaton's looking his uh, to a tight end's way on a critical down and throwing that ball, you know that they're an important part of the offense. And it just didn't seem like that was the case on Saturday. And now maybe this is – they'll try and go from here and see how you evolve and get them more involved in the offense. But I think you were the one skeptical about the tight end talk preseason, Ryan, and I think you were right. Yeah, and it, you know, I'm not trying to bag on Jude Wolf or Eric Cromanhope. I'm not blaming it all on the players. Their position wasn't effective, and I think some of that has to yeah. do with the coaching too, and with the the scheme and everything. It just they they weren't put in good positions either. So I, I think it's a combination of things. It's not just man, these players suck. We've seen Eric Cromanhope play better. We've you know. I think we can see Jude Wolf do some some good things, but yeah, Jude Wolf at Saint, at Bosco was a beast. You know, like yeah. we've seen this. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a combination of things. I mean, they do have a you know a first time uh, position coach as their position coach. You know, last year you had your special teams coordinator coaching the position too. So like they they got to figure that out. I think a lot of it has to do with how they utilize these guys. Did you need to have them out there every play? Like. Maybe it's a little bit different where, you know, you're using some more four wides and open things up and give them more opportunities. But there, yeah, there's something that wasn't, wasn't clicking. And I'm, and like I said, I'm not blaming it all on the players. It was, I think it was a combination of everything, but you can't have, it's one of those things like you have limited counter space in your kitchen and like, (laughs) do I need this juicer? Do I need this walk? Do I need like, you're all these things that maybe you don't use very often. And if they're not, uh, well, this one doesn't even, this, you know, my blender doesn't even work. Well, it doesn't really deserve space on the counter at that point. So I think the coaches have to prove 
there's a reason why we have this position out there, not because we said so, but because we know how to use them. We got talent there and we can utilize them and make them make it work. Otherwise, you put two running backs in there. You put four wide receivers and they didn't do much of that. So I think you could look in the film, watching the film. I think you would have to say we need to do more of those other formations. And when we do have the tight ends out there, we have to make sure we're using them to you know the best of our ability. Yep. No, exactly. I agree 100 percent. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Start up front. <laughs> Man, with the defensive line. So it, overall, um, and Shotgun broke down the position too. There was, it, you know, it looked like there was a lot of uh, like 4-2-5. But, you know, they, they used some different fronts. But there was some similar things. He said like a 4-3 and a 3-4. But usually that was when Hunter Eccles is in there. And depending on how close to the line of scrimmage he was. But a lot of it was... You had like Nick Figueroa, you had, uh, um, who am I? Oh, uh, Caleb Tremblay. And then you had yeah, Marlon Tui Pelotu. And then Drake Jackson would be kind of the outside guy, the whatever backer they call him. And uh, the B backer. The B backer. And, you know, we saw Jay Tefele last year from the interior of the line, like really just, you know, pick up stats and stuff and, and make some big plays. And Marlon, I thought, did an amazing job of doing that too. I think the other guys did well. I thought. As a group, it was pretty good from the uh, the defensive line. But seeing Marlon Tuipolotu able to make some of those signature plays, that that has to give you a good feeling, especially knowing that Brandon Peely uh, wasn't available to come in and spell him. Yeah, I mean, just a great performance from Mar- Marlon Tuipolotu. I know he was nominated or, or won the Defensive Player of the Week, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week award, so clearly he, it got noticed. So you love what you're seeing from Marlon. The question I have is, and we've talked about this before, is that uh, in the second half of 2019, I feel like Marlon kind of just, he kind of, the energy kind of waned, his consistency kind of waned. And and I think partially that was due to, you know, he just got a little injured, a little fatigued. But if you're leaning on him so much right now, and I think Shotgun put this in his notes, uh, Marlon played at least his career high of snaps or one below his his career high. So a lot of snaps for Marlon. And, and Brandon Peely was listed as questionable again for Saturday. Um, I, th- I think we mentioned on Sunday that uh, he was out with, with a broken finger, he had to get surgery on that middle finger. And so if he's out for another week, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure again on Marlon, you know, Stanley Tauafu came in uh, to spell Marlon, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not comparable. You know, Marlon is, is going to be that guy that knows tackle in the middle. And so how long can Marlon keep that productivity up and, and have that wear and tear of a career high of snaps? I, it's going to be a question mark going forward, but I was pleasantly surprised from Nick Frigaro and Caleb Trimble. Those are guys, who I think under um, wow I'm blanking on the previous defensive line coach that's horrible Chad Chad K under yeah. Chad K he got really frustrated them at times and it just felt like they were missing their assignments or they weren't consistent as much and I thought they did pretty well all things considered um, I, uh, Nick Figueroa had five tackles including a, a one and a half tackles for loss so I, I thought they were good contributors and I'm curious to see what it looks like going forward for those two so. Uh, whether you can get Brandon Peely back, I think that will be an added boost, obviously, to this defensive line. But I was I was pleasantly surprised, Ryan, by what, what we saw. Yeah, I thought that was good. I mean, they were productive, similar to like last year. You know, they were pretty productive. You move back a little bit, and I've talked about this before, but I just didn't feel like the linebacker group was all that productive. And last year, USC had two linebacker coaches, and they weren't productive. This year, you got one, and it's your defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. And I really thought, you know, with him coming in, having a fresh look at the linebackers and him running the defense, 
knowing that you got some talent there, like, you know, Paliena Oteote and Raylan Goforth and Kanai Mauga, even though you're, you're, you're missing guys like Jordan Iasefa and Solomon Tuialapupu, I thought, okay, this is going to be a better group. We heard amazing things about Paliere, like you'd mentioned before, and we weren't, we weren't seeing the production. And I looked at the, you know, those, those two players, we talked about the tight end group, not being productive, same sort of thing with the linebackers. They were the two of the two of the three lowest rated defenders for USC. And they played almost every snap. I think, uh, I think go forth missed like four snaps and, and Pallier played every snap and they were the least productive uh, of all those guys. And there was one solo tackle between the two of them. So one solo tackle from your linebackers. And there was a lot of opportunities where I would see Jalen Daniels run up the middle and there, there's no linebackers there, or it looked like sort of a little bit of a fake to the left. And then the play ends up going to the right. And like the linebackers are just boom out of the play or a pulling guard comes around and just erases one of the linebackers. And, Again, I'm not putting this all on the players. I think they're both really talented guys. I'm just questioning the kind of position that they were put in or preparation or, or something because it just didn't seem like they were doing much of anything. And I was you know, waiting for the announcers to call their names. They just weren't doing it. Um, it just wasn't happening. And like you said, you look at the, you know, they have a handful of tackles or whatever, but there was one solo tackle. I mean, you're seeing guys like Isaiah Polamau or, uh, you know, and, you know, there are other guys that go out and make a play. Marlon Tui Pelotu, you know, Talano Hufunga. Like, there were going to be a couple of feature plays by those guys. And, you know, they're, they got other duties. Like, you're the linebacker. I want to see you involved in a lot of run tackling. I want to see, you know, filling a gap and, and just making a play and getting a stop. And they just weren't. And I, I can't put that all on the players. I mean, some of it's going to be on that. But it just seemed like they weren't really in the right positions a lot of the time. So they got to they gotta rethink that position. That's a groundhog day thing. We, we, we've seen this, this before from USC. So they have to get more production from the linebackers and what they're getting. And I, I wasn't impressed with what I saw Saturday. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Ryan. I think the word I use is just, it's deflating. You know, when you hear Helton talk ad nauseum about, you know, EA has made such great strides. He looks so good. And, you know, we we had the caveat. You need to take it with a grain of salt. But Orlando sounded excited about what EA could do as well. And then it's a Groundhog's Day. He just, the way he is just, it doesn't seem like he's diagnosing plays well. It just seems like he's getting sucked into things when he shouldn't, um, missing his assignment. You know, it just doesn't seem like, he, I don't want to be like rude, so I'm trying to figure out my words here, but it just doesn't seem like he knows exactly what's going on. And then, you know, go forth, he's younger and he kind of got thrust into this position because it should be Kanai Malga. I think the coaches really valued Malga's experience and he only, I think he only got like 10 plays on Saturday. So it was a lot for go forth to handle. And, you know, he obviously got sucked in by, by Jaden Daniels on that keeper in the first quarter. And, you know, it just, from what we've heard and, and how Orlando has spoken about his defense, the linebackers are a key part of it and a key uh, part of what makes it run. And if you don't have that that linebacker presence that you need, it just makes you wonder if you're like dragging along this position group while the defensive line and the DBs are trying to make things work, you know? And like you mentioned, Ryan, EA was t- tied for, or no, he was third in tackles for the day. And it's like, wait, what? He was? Like, you don't remember his name really being called. But a lot of those tackles came down the field and not where he needed to be. So it's just, it makes you wonder, what what's the, what, 
what's going on at the drawing board right now? How are you getting those guys better involved in maybe trying to further along their development? You know, it just makes you wonder, like, why is this been like kind of a sunken position for USC the last couple seasons? You know, I know Camp Smith was really good at diagnosing plays. You know, is that transferable? Can you teach that to other guys? I just I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know either, but uh, we're, you know, we're going to get an opportunity tomorrow to talk to Todd Orlando, so we, I'm sure we can ask about that. Um, secondary, I thought they, they played pretty well. There were some good battles out there. Uh, you know, there was a few penalties, maybe a ticky-tack one here or there, but um, you know, it's not like Jane Daniels threw the ball really well. He, what, 135 yards passing or something. It was more about running, and we have saw some huge plays. I mean, that to, to diagnose the reverse like Isaiah Polamal did and, and force a 14-yard loss, yeah, that was pretty yeah. special. Um, you know, there was one long conversion. I think it was a third and 21 or something, or it was, it was third and long and, and, you know, um, USC, I think it was a PI on, uh, Elijah Griffin to give him a first down. But for the most part, it was like a breakdown up in the front seven and, and Daniels would run for a big mm-hmm. gain on some of those third and longs or second and long. So it wasn't really like the secondary was giving up these long pass plays most of the time. But yeah, I thought the the secondary played well overall. We saw a lot of nickel. Um, Greg Johnson, we got to see some Max Williams uh, out there too. And then, you know, in the end, the the final drive when Jane Daniels had to throw the ball, we saw some good coverages from like Chris Steele and and stopping some plays. So they they got off the field when, you know, they had to throw the ball. When Arizona State had the lead most of the time and they could run the ball when they wanted, that makes it a little tougher. But I thought thought overall the secondary played pretty well. Yeah, I did too. I know people get annoyed by PI penalties, but you know, Chris Steele was obviously handsy at times, but overall I thought, I thought they played well. I thought Hufunga was pretty good at diagnosing things. Isaiah Pulamau, you know, was he, like you said, Ryan, with that reverse that he snuffed out. So good things there. I thought, you know, I think that that one touchdown, I'm forgetting who it was who scored, but uh, Hufunga was there. I just think his angle was weird. And then Isaiah Pulamau kind of got into the mix and blocked off Hufunga from making a play. So it was a little wonky at times, maybe some of the angles, or it just felt like Hufunga felt a little slow to me at times. But I thought overall their coverage was good, and they did a good job. Um, But, Ryan, my question for you is on the defense as a whole. I felt like at times the defense would blitz and not really get there and leave just lanes for Daniels to, to run. And why wouldn't you at that point, if you're not like getting home, essentially, why not have force Daniels to beat you with his arm, you know, given the, the DBs that USC has, why not make Daniels be a more accurate passer, which he struggled with than have him beat you with his legs, which we know he's, he's good at, you know? Yeah. Like you could drop back into some kind of zone that we saw. Yeah. Yeah. Teams play against USC or whatever. Pretty much, and, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they, they ran the ball very effectively, the Sun Devils did, and I think you know, that might change you a little bit. But we saw some times where they were just you know solely man coverage and nobody's looking and Daniels just takes off and runs. You're like, oh, because yeah. like you said, the blitz didn't get there or the you know the rush didn't. And you know they, I thought they put some pressure on them, but you know contain was an issue. There was, there was definitely some issues. It didn't look like team speed was tremendous. And, you know, maybe it's part of it just that, you know, when the linebackers, have, they're not in the play sometimes, that's tough. I, I think you need those guys. That if you can get those two guys to just, um, you know, figure out where the, you know, the instinctive stuff, or figuring out where the ball is and, mm-hmm. and, and put yourself in the right spot so you're, the play's coming your way as opposed to 
running to catch up. And we just didn't see like the closing speed if you were trying to run to catch up and yeah. and those guys getting there. So I don't know, maybe team speed, some of the angles that you know they took, obviously there were some some issues. Uh, we saw like a little dump off pass that went for 55 yards. I think Talanoa missed a tackle in the backfield. And I mean, it, at that point, like I want to see the linebackers over there, like you know, stopping them at the in the intermediate area and like that 10 yard area, but man, they were just gone. And, uh, yeah. so there were some, yeah, I think overall there was just some problems, but it just didn't look like this was this defense that was flying around to the ball and had all this team speed everywhere. And I, I think there's athletes, but I just didn't get that feeling watching it. Yeah. The thing that I will be curious about is I know ASU had a lot of pre-snap motion and that was something that I heard was a little, a little tricky for USC's defense, just because that requires a lot of communication and a lot of adjustments pre-snap. And if this is a new defense that you haven't had a lot of time running, that requires everyone knowing their assignment and knowing uh, what happens next. And that's a tough test, you know, and we said before that this is going to be, uh, USC is one of USC's hardest opponents this season. So maybe this was kind of first game, first new defensive scheme jitters and wrinkles, and they'll look better. Um, it'll be interesting coming up on Saturday because this is another, like Helton said, an uh, unscouted team. And Helton said that Arizona will be one of the fastest teams they play. So, you know, whether this is a, a working out the kinks of the defense or these are just it's just a little bit too much for the the defense to grasp. I'm I, that's something I will watch for going forward. Yeah, and then uh, special teams will wrap it up. Overall, I thought there was a, a good effort on the special teams units. We you know we talked about this before. You just don't want to see the big mistakes. There was a couple. There was a couple of small mistakes, like a kick, one kick out of bounds. But for the most part, the kickoffs were good. I thought the coverage was good. Um, you know, the, the punt coverage, they put a little pressure on Jack Jones and he ends up fumbling the football. So you get a turnover on special teams there that the offense failed to capitalize on. But, you know, yeah. that was a positive. Obviously, the you have know, a true freshman kicker who beats out Chase McGrath, but Chase McGrath's a little banged up too. So you're not really sure what the story is there, but he makes all his PATs, including the game winner with a lot of pressure on that one. And then executes a perfect onside kick and USC gets the ball back and allows them to win the game. So, yeah, I mean, it's great that you get a couple of great plays. Like the onside kick is a great play. The, you know, forcing a fumble on a punt return, that's a great play. But it wasn't offset with, oh, my God, they did this terrible thing and then that terrible thing and then that <laughs> terrible thing. So there was a couple of, like, not great plays. But for the most part, everything was good. Everything, you know, average or above. And then there were some great ones, too. And I think that's what you want from special teams. You're not hurting yourself and you're helping yourself when you can. Yeah, it was overall improvement. It wasn't uh, two number sevens on the field. I think overall, I think we should be, you could, you can walk away happy from this performance. If you're a USC fan, you have an onside kick go successfully, even though it was a little odd how they all talked about it. It kind of sounded like they didn't really practice it, but they did. And there's <laughs> some pushback about whether or not they did, but at least they executed it and it helped, contribute towards the win so you know it, it's an improvement ryan and i think we can monitor it going forward how about that yeah definitely an improvement so we uh we like what we saw there all right um well we got a bunch of questions to get to so why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and answer your questions back in a minute <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Um, We got some voicemails. We got some text messages. Maybe we'll start. Keely, uh, Rick from Vista sent us a voicemail, but it was cutting out, so I can't play it for you. But he was still not happy, and I think there's a he, a lot of fans aren't happy. Mm-hmm. He said, "I think they're winning despite the coach." And uh, he said, "Even if they go five and one or six and one, he feels they're not getting better, and he just wants a new coach." And I, I can tell you, Rick, they go five and one or six and one, they're not getting a new, you're not getting a new coach. But I understand, yes, like. We've seen some of the same problems we've seen before, and you've changed all the offensive coaches one year, and then you change all the defensive coaches one year. But overall, the product was still similar. So jury's still out, obviously. Could be the toughest game. The problem is, are you going to grade this team on a scale? Because it's really not. I don't think it's going to be that tough of a schedule here on out, you know, outside of Utah. Um you know, Colorado, maybe they look a little better than I thought. UCLA looks a little worse than I thought. We haven't seen Arizona yet. I don't think they're going to be very good. Um, you know, it's – and Washington State actually looked better than I thought too. So mm-hmm. they got a they got a road a road win against Oregon State. So that might be, a you know, a decent matchup. But for the most part, like, USC is far more talented. They'll probably be a double-digit favorite in most of the games outside of the Utah game. And they were a double-digit favorite against Arizona State and needed a miracle to win that one. So who knows? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is what I kind of said at the beginning in my Dan rant. You know, you know what you're going to get with a Clay Helton team at this point. I think it's it it showed itself in the first game of this season. You know, I I don't I don't know. And and to me the question is, are you grading on a Helton curve? Are you grading on what we think USC and the brand should be, which is a national championship or competing for national championships every season? If you're grading on that scale, then this is not where the team should be. And it just seems like no matter who you change out, if Clay Helton is still at the top, there's going to be the same issues that we've seen. So, you know, I... I the talent is going to win out at USC. It seems like they're covering up from mistakes. I guess it's just about how how many mistakes does USC have each game and how much can that talent really outplay it, you know? Yeah. And then the the opponent, how much can the, your opponent take advantage? This was a good opponent. I think Arizona State's going to be pretty good. Uh, I think they can they can run the table if they get through Cal this weekend if if they end up playing Cal, we don't know. Um I I think they're they're good. I think they're well coached. Um they had a lot of prep, and I think we saw that. They looked you know, pretty sharp. I expected the passing game to be better um, than it was, but they ran the ball pretty effectively, even though you know Benjamin was gone. They had you know, a couple of guys making their first Division I starts and, and getting their first Division I carries and looking pretty good out there. So um, you know, I, I got like Frank Darby going down. I don't think helped. He's their veteran wide receiver. 
and you wanted a guy. We saw some LV Bunkley Shelton, you know, getting some work, but then he ends up fumbling. Uh, Johnny Wilson, who's like six seven, you thought, wow, he could have a really big game. Didn't have a catch, had some drops. So yeah, I don't think the passing game was kind of working all that great. But though, I think they'll get that rolling, and they could, they could be a really good team. I don't know if USC is going to play a team as tough as them. So then you got to kind of grade it on a curve. Like, well, USC makes a couple of mistakes, but then Arizona can't take advantage of it. You still made those mistakes, you know. And then you're at the end of the game, you're talking about, well, everything's fine, you know. It's like, well, no, <laughs> it's not, you know. So yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying, Rick. But you know, it's one of those things. Like this is, this was a look at what the schedule would have been. Like Alabama looks amazing, right? They look so good. And it, you know, there's some up and down teams in the SEC. Alabama looks great. I want to see that Florida game. Uh, that could be a really fun one. Uh, Notre Dame just beat the number one team in the country. You know, they beat Clemson. Like what would the USC Notre Dame game be like? Oregon replacing all those dudes stomped Stanford. Now they didn't have their quarterback and stuff, but still like those teams all look really good. That's how USC fans wanted to judge this USC team. How do they look against Alabama? How do they look against Notre Dame? How do they look against Oregon? And well, you know, Washington might be pretty good too. That was another game that you would have seen. You that you don't get those anymore. So yeah, yeah this one, yeah, Utah, who knows? Maybe Washington state will be pretty good. Maybe that'll be a test, but you're not going to get tested. Like we thought they were going to go into the season. So Rick, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't think there's going to be any sort of coaching change uh, this season. Yeah. I, my final point is that, you know, you hear from Graham Harrell, we could have scored in the fifties if we didn't have four turnovers. And it's like, well, you did though. You know, it's like teams can figure out how to not have their veteran players have turnovers at this point, you know? And so it's, it's, are you grading on, okay, will you progress as the season goes on? Or are you expecting your team to play well from day one? And it's up to the coaches to decide what they're expecting from their team. And obviously they want the best, but it's just not what we're seeing from day one. So I, I just don't understand why every year we're having this same conversation about the team growing into the team that they can't be. Why aren't they that from day one? You know? Yeah. We don't know. We don't know why they are. Uh, all right. Where do you want to go next? Keely? Let's go to an email from Steve who says, in my view, Amon Ross Brown's tip has the potential to turn our season from Shiza. Uh, for my German listeners, to Shinola. My question is, do you think he tipped the ball and it happened to land in Brew McCoy's hands? Or do you think Amon Ra knew just where Brew was and intentionally tipped it to him? Steve, in Beaumont, California. Beaumont, yeah. Um, Okay. I've I've played volleyball, (laughs) like, my whole life. Uh, Same here. And I don't think that was an intentional tip. But Really? Okay. I, I, no, I don't know. I just feel like he was, you know, he was in traffic. I don't think as a receiver, like all you're thinking about is trying to catch the ball, right? Like you're just going up and I need to catch this ball. If he did do it intentionally, I mean, it's pretty freaking special. It was special anyway. Yeah. But I just feel like you're just doing what you can. I don't feel like it was a Hail Mary-ish kind of thing where, you know, at the end of the game and you're thinking about tip drills and, and maybe they did, maybe they discussed it. We haven't heard anyone say that, but I feel like he was going up to try to make a play. There was traffic and there was all a bunch of arms out there, but the result was he tipped it and Brew McCoy caught it. So my gut would say he didn't do it on purpose. And if he did, holy cow, amazing. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Part of me wants to go with the fun answer and say that he did because it was a free play anyway. ASU was drawn off sides. 
and they said that if they were drawn off sides, they were just going to run for four verts, you know. And so he knew to a certain extent that Brew was on the other side of him. And, you know, maybe if it wasn't a, a free play, he doesn't try and bat it up so it's intercepted. Maybe he knew, you know, hey, just bat it up. Maybe Brew's there. If not, we'll we'll call it back. So I'm going to say yes, he knew it, and he's just that good. How about that? All right. We didn't get the – did we get to talk to him? Was he on the Zoom call after the game? I don't think so. I don't think no. he was. I don't think we have a chance to talk to him yet, so – We'll see. Um, yeah, that's the weird thing is trying to figure out how USC's SIDs pick who we're going to talk to. <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes you're like, well, I wanted to ask this player that, but he's not available, so I have to ask this other player that. Yeah, so I don't yeah, know. it's a we have to finagle it for sure. I got a I got an Amon Ra question on voicemail. If you want me to sure. do that, we'll keep it the same thing. All it. right, here you go. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Another thing, Amon Ra. St. Brown should not be doing kickoffs unless nobody else can catch the ball. He's too valuable to be taking all those extra hits, and he's not the type that's going to break it, and you know it. Why isn't the fastest tailback who runs 10, 300 meters with hands named Kristen not returning kicks? Also, the defense, here we go again. It looks very close to Clancy, other than they handled uh, end of rounds. They didn't let end of rounds and misdirections get them, but it's still uh, uh all-or-nothing blitz type of uh, defense that gets to the quarterback, and then when it's third and long, oh, he gets away. How come we don't run drop eight? A drop seven when we have people on third and long. You don't have to blitz all the time. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Hey, Curtis, we we talked about the second part a little bit uh, already, but uh, I don't have a problem with Amon Ross St. Brown back there. You know, returning kicks. Um, you know, where they had they had McLean out there, right? Keely doing it too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that gosh. was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, See, I don't know. If this is a unpopular opinion but i kind of i am always like why would you put your your playmakers and on special teams in a vulnerable position i kind of side with curtis on this one i don't know especially with given usc's wide receiver depth issues right now i don't know i I tend to lean towards curtis on this one i think all right yeah i mean he's he's a special player i mean christian's fast and, and stuff but i i mean for whatever reason they don't feel like he's uh the the best returner rock there so um yeah this is one of those where we wish we were at practice especially just to see how much time gary bryant jr if he got any time at all because that's something we were anticipating his impact on special teams and i think that energy uh, that injury just uh ruined the timeline of that i think so i think shotgun said uh he was like on the exercise bike quite a bit for the game uh really yeah okay i believe so so um yeah, so I don't know. We'll see uh, what they do going forward. But yeah, what? So who? Wait. So who was it? The, they were calling Manier McLean's name on the broadcast, right? For Elijah Griffin, I believe. Yeah, it was like an Elijah Griffin thing. They were like, "Oh, Manier McLean or whatever." And McLean with the kickback cover return. So yeah, I think Gerard nope. was tweeting stuff like that. It was kind of yeah, weird. yeah. I saw that. Yeah, not not correct, but it happens. The national yeah. broadcast is not going to be super in depth on these things. No. Let's go to an email from Mark, who has two questions for us, Ryan. Uh, he says, first off, whose decision was it for Drake Jackson to lose so much weight, his or the coach's? He seemed to really struggle to disengage from blocks compared to last year. 
You know, it's a good question. I'm not sure whose decision it was, but we know that Todd Orlando said he wanted to see him smaller. So maybe it, maybe that tells you that was his decision. From, uh, but, you know. Sorry, Ryan. From what I heard, it was Todd Orlando's decision. And then Drake wanted to go along with it, obviously, to yeah. fit into his, his scheme. And that's what, you know, Orlando told us. It was like, you know, he felt like he was just too big. And if you can get, you can lose weight, but still have that same power. Um and he felt like he was doing that. Uh, Mark doesn't feel like he had the same kind of power. Um, I need to go back and kind of watch. I didn't see him like have issues disengaging from blocks as much. But I, you know, I I was looking at the linebackers a lot more when I went to rewatching the game again. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. But Orlando really liked it, and uh, but I don't think if Drake Jackson didn't want to go along with it, I don't think he he would have if he didn't feel yeah. comfortable in his body the way it was. But yeah, interesting one. Yeah, yeah, I think Clay Hilton had praise for for Drake, and he said that his contribution uh, showed up more than maybe his stats did. I think both. Uh, no, I think uh, Hilton just talked about how it, whether or not he had a stat uh, recorded, he still made uh, Daniels throw the ball faster and, and get out faster. So he Hilton seems to think that he had an impact, but uh, that's definitely a, a deeper rewatch. Oh, and speaking of, I'm going to plug. Jacques and I are doing film study, so look out for that soon on the site. Nice. We'll have film study up. Yeah. Um, but Mark has a second question, and it's funny. He says, is it too early to give the 2020 Keely or Ben Griffiths unwarranted hype award <laughs> to Clay Helton for all his preseason EA hype? Uh, he was almost invisible on Saturday. First off, uh, to correct the record, uh, the slander that I have received is, is the Keely Orr and Dan Weber Ben Griffiths unwarranted hype reward, award. And second of all, there was still... There was it was warranted. We saw the punts. It's not my fault that he didn't debut it last year in games. That's all I'm gonna say. But I yeah. think we can say it's not too early, Ryan, for this award. Right? Yeah, I like I like this award. We should keep this Keely Yor Ben Griffiths unwarranted <laughs> hype award. So uh, no. <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard because we weren't hyping him because we couldn't tell. I actually my gut was he was going to have a better year because of the focus Todd Orlando was putting on him. And yeah. I kind of talked about that early just as a hunch. And then, then we started getting the actual hype where they were telling us how great he was and what they were doing and how special this was and stuff. And then you're like, but it was very believable to me. Like I believed it. Um, but I didn't see it like you said, Mark. And I, I, I feel like I railed on the linebackers enough at this point, but that, you know, that was something that I'm not going to put all on him. Uh, I think it's, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. So they, he's a talented enough dude that you can say, all right, they got to figure out a way to make him go out there and, and look the part and just really be out there making plays like, Oh no, dad, EA made another play. He made another, like stuff like that. Not like, is he ever going to make a play? Like that's where we were. And you know, why, why that's the case is just hard to tell right now. Yeah. I guess we can say he's on the watch list for the award, but he yeah. hasn't been awarded it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if there's some adjustments made. But I like that award. I'm going to have to copy that, write that down. And, uh, and <laughs> Of course. Of course yeah. you love it because it's trolling me. Of course <laughs> you do. Uh, we have a text from Sir Eric of Troy who says, Guys, to quote the legendary Motown group, The Four Tops, it's the same old song, which is some different assistance since we've been gone. Which I think that's above. That's too old for me, Ryan. I don't know if you. I don't <laughs> think they said that in the song. <laughs> <I know>. but... <laughs> they don't talk about assistance, Ryan? I don't believe the they did, Sir Eric okay. of Troy. 
Okay. He said, this is still the same sloppy, unmotivated, underprepared team and has always been under the Helton watch. Todd Orlando, for all his talk about becoming a tough, hard-hitting defense, I somehow knew it was just talk as long as soft guy Clay is in charge. Why is it that other teams can manage a defensive scheme to control a mobile quarterback, but USC, USC simply cannot? It doesn't seem to matter who the defensive coordinator is. We simply look outclassed against an RPO. Your thoughts, Sir Eric of Troy? I mean... You can't stop everything, Sir Eckert. I'm not going to give excuses for some of the defensive performance, but I, I think you're you're being a little too harsh on what they're doing here. I believe this is a situation where if USC gave up like 400 yards passing, what would you say? You'd be like, oh my God, they, the secondary sucks. They can't do anything, and blah blah blah. Well, yeah, did Jalen Dan, you know, Jaden Daniels like run for a lot? Yeah, he did. He was very effective. He had like a 31 yard run on. Third and law. Like, yeah, th- that stuff happened. But they didn't let him throw for much. I mean, he threw for 135 yards. So you took something away, at least. And I think yeah. when you're coming up with a defensive scheme, you're like, what do I want to take away? So sometimes you might make a team that doesn't run the football well look like a good running team because you focus completely on the pass. And you let them run a little bit, you know. Um, you're playing basketball. And you don't want to give up the three. Yeah, well, I gave up a bunch of layups. It's like, well, yeah, but they were, you know, this crazy three-point shooting team, and we stopped them there. And then they they got the ball inside and and got some points in the paint because you were okay giving up points in the paint, or you you know you'd rather do that. It sounds like they, you know, I'm not saying that they wanted to give up a whole bunch of yards to Daniels and and the running game, but it looks like they wanted to limit the passing game, and they did that. And so at least you accomplished something. Um, so yeah, I, I think they were a little too harsh on that one, Sir Eric of Troy. It's one game. Um, I think we saw some positive things, but there were definitely some same old song and dance stuff that we saw from years before that I really didn't expect. And we'll see if they're able to clean that up in the coming weeks. Yeah. I think for all the things to have patience for, have patience for a new defensive scheme and a new coach at least, because this is just the first game in a weird season, you know, maybe hold out a little bit longer and then make your judgment. But other things that we've seen for years and season after season, then you can you can judge a little bit harder. How about that? Yeah. Uh, have, oh, do do you want, go ahead. You can do one, and I'll do one after. Sorry, Ryan. Uh, we have an email from our buddy Sergeant Rodney Strong, who I believe emailed into uh, the Harvey Hyde show, because he says, well, boys and lady, thank you for answering my question yesterday with the coach. Uh, it was a moment where that saying goes, the truth hurts, and the truth and the reality is that Clay Helton is our football coach, and I'm going to try my best to suck this up and just root for the boys. It's a hard pill to swallow, but I'm going to face the reality and hope for the best for my beloved team. Uh, but aside from that, do you see USC's defense looking any be- better than last year's team? Thank you for all that you do and fight on, Sergeant Rodney, Rodney Strong. Hey, Sergeant Strong. Yeah, I mean, we understand there's a lot of fans are frustrated with Clay Helton. And, you know, I wrote a call of a, what, a year or two ago about why he should have been fired and stuff. Like, I get it. But it's at some point you just kind of have to move on. Like, well, that's the, you know, they have a head coach and they're probably not changing it for a while. So, this is what you got. If you want to like, just talk about that every week, it gets a little old. So um, it's not like we're ignoring everyone. I was saying, Oh yeah, Clayton's the best coach in the world and all that stuff. But you know, it can be a little bit of the same old stuff. And yeah. So we, I mean, we talked about the defense quite a bit. I do feel like going forward, it's going to be a better defense. Um, you know, Grant Cannell is a pretty good quarterback. They're going to see with Arizona this year. Uh, I think they got a pretty veteran offensive line coming back. Let's see how they they hold up against uh, you know Arizona. And I I just don't think Arizona's defense is going to do much against USC. They got a 
They got walk-ons on the two deep. They got they got some problems on the defensive side of the ball. So it might not be the greatest test, but yeah, let's see how the defense performs. And um, you know, I, I feel like the whole third and long thing is a big deal. That long touchdown drive for Arizona State on Saturday, they com- they converted like a third and twenty-one, and then a or second and twenty-one, and like a third and long, and then another third and long on the same drive. It was like three like down and you know distant situations that were really long and they converted on one drive and uh, score a touchdown on it. So I think you got to eliminate stuff like that and get the ball back to the offense that was struggling. And it, it's one of those situations where the defense gets a big stop and maybe it gives the offense some momentum. So we want to see that kind of situational stuff work together a little better. And uh, I think, I think he will against Arizona, but like I said, I don't think it's going to be that, that not as difficult as a test is like what you saw against the Sun Devils. Yep. Completely agree, Ryan. Let's go to a voicemail. Here you go. Hello, brother Ryan. This is Lee um, from the Bay Area. I would like for you to ask this question when you shotgun and your whole crew get together. My my question or my thought is, um, as I was looking at the game, I noticed uh, that our center was getting pushed around and probably some other of the line was getting pushed around also, but I'm specifically talking about the center. Uh, I want to know if they, if you get guests think that, uh, or hosts think that UC should try to try someone off, uh, try someone at center that's bigger or has more weight because if USC is going to play the, more better teams um, and the more better talent at nose tackle, um, they're probably not going to have a chance. And I say that thinking that I remember some of you guys are saying that how the center was happy to gain, to get up to 300 pounds. So again, if if USC wants to be better, should they try someone at center that's bigger and has more weight on them. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Lee. Um, well, we already talked about that. You, you might see uh, Justin Dita choose. I don't think bigger, right? But he's tough. No. He's a tough kid. So you want yeah. someone that can push some people around, you might get him. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the knock on Dita. Not the knock. That's his his kind of badge of honor is that he's just a physical guy who's going to fight <laughs> and despite his size. So it looks like he might get his way, uh, our voicemail caller, be just because uh, Nilon is, is hurt. And so we'll see, you know, he could Wally Pip uh, Nilon, but um, it doesn't, from what I'm hearing, it doesn't seem like uh, Nilon will be good to go on Saturday, but we'll see. We'll get the final update from Helton on Thursday. Yeah. I uh, will see. Well, I don't, what do you think Keely about that though? I mean, I, I think the physical beat he was talking about, the one I saw was definitely on Nilon. He kind of got pushed back on one of those short yarded situations. Yeah. I don't know if you necessarily need a big center. I mean, centers, you know, you got to bend down and snap the ball. It's You don't usually have like six, seven guys at center, you know, but um, yeah. you want someone tough for sure. And, I, you know, I like that Nilon put on some weight. Um, Didich is going to bring a different kind of energy to that position. So we'll see how. He does. Uh, I believe that'll be his. Did he start at center before? Or is this his first one? Uh, Didich? Yeah. Didich started at Cal and at UCLA when Nilon came down with the calf in- injury last season. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So he, his- he's been in there for a bit. 
Um, and the thing with Neilon, er, excuse me, Didich, I keep interchanging them. Uh, you didn't really notice a difference last season when when Didich came in, and that's essentially w- what you want from your center. It's my audio thing. If you notice the the audio, then it's bad audio. If you notice the center, then it's ba- a bad center. So I, it seems like Didich can at least the torch can be passed without it being uh, horrible for the offensive line as a whole. So you're yeah. at least not worried about that. I agree. Um, let's go to a text. It's kind of a ranty text, Ryan. It's kind of just thoughts, which we appreciate all the thoughts. So I guess I, I, I don't know if there's a question in there. We'll try and see if there is one. Okay. Um, it's from Trojan Rick who says, we'll take the win along with all the other excuses. Um, but first off, Oh, no, hold on. We'll take the win along with all the other excuses but come on the offensive play calling i thought was suspect understanding that this offense will see this type of defensive formations as long as graham harrell is around but come on which leads me to this question thought do we actually think that this type of offense can win anything of consequence meaning a national championship take a look at what the sec is doing with mike leach ever since the first week of play when will we ever begin to be able to just to just line up and blow people off the line when will we start to focus on our offensive line and it, it's recruiting or lack thereof no more two and three star offensive linemen already. There was never a two star offensive lineman. Uh, bring back Pete Carroll's philosophy. Put a gate up around Cali and poach the best players out of each state. Sincerely, kind of happy, kind of pissed, Trojan Rick. Hey, Trojan Rick. Um, yeah, so I think I agree with you on the recruiting aspect. That's certainly important. That's stuff you have to go back to the Pete Carroll days. But look what's happening in college football. I mean, what do you think about Nick Saban? I mean, defensive guy. He would like to pound the rock. He'd like to be physical. Well, he's admitted it's changed. You got to score points. You got to like have this prolific offense. And I think Graham Harrell has that prolific offense combined with the kind of talent USC has. We've seen bigger running backs than what they've run in this version of the air raid. We've seen more talented receivers than what he'd been used to before, where you're just kind of scheming guys open. Like now you're getting guys to just go out and make plays and it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I think the potential for the offense is very high. Mike Leach runs a completely different offense. There's like no running in Mike Leach's offense. This is a, an offense that wants to run the ball more than what Mike Leach's did. And so there's going to be some issues there. And I, if you wanted to say what Mike Leach is doing at Mississippi State and compare that to what's going on. I just don't think that's a true comparison. Is this a type of offense that could win a national championship? I believe it is. But you have to combine it with you know, a really good head coach. You have to combine it with the kind of recruiting that we've seen from yesteryear at USC and not what we're seeing right now. And and the kind of defense that, you know, can make plays and 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 get you get you the ball and get off the field on third and longs and things like that. So yeah, I think that offense can be a component to winning a national championship. I don't think it would preclude you, you know, USC from winning just because they're running Graham Harrell's offense. I think that's Scheme-wise, it's the best thing I've seen at USC in a while. So I would take it over much, most of the stuff that we've seen, you know, maybe like the Norm Chow stuff. Like, really, it's been better than most of all of that. Yeah, and I mean, if you ask Graham Harrell and you say the phrase air raid, he kind of winces a little bit just because he doesn't even think his is really an air raid. It's kind of like a, a mix because if you look at the splits of what he really wants to do, he wants it to be more even 50-50 about whether you run or pass the ball. Um, but the reason why it changed in the second half of 2019 is because USC didn't have anyone to actually run the ball. <laughs> there were so many injuries. So uh, they really sold out to the air raid type of offense. So, you know, it's just the, 
it's where recruiting matters. You can't, if you have to develop your offensive linemen and you're having issues where you're moving your really highly graded, according to PFF, uh, left guard to left tackle because you don't have any tackles to replace Austin Jackson, yes, that's an issue. And I don't think you can really talk national championship when you're trying to scramble to to figure out your starting five. And that obviously affects what you can do when you want to run the ball. So yeah, there's issues, but I don't know if it's necessarily scheme itself. That's the, the glaring issue right now. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of things to complain about. Like I wouldn't complain about the offensive scheme. I could be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a plus. Like that's a, that's a positive. So it, you know, if you want to complain about that, you're skipped over a lot of other stuff. (laughs) True. And, and and you can just rewind the podcast to figure out what we were complaining about. <laughs> um, our final email comes from our buddy Steve in Poway, who says, Dear Keely and Ryan, as I watched ASU's defensive backs, notably former USC player Jack Jones, fall down like dominoes with leg cramps in the fourth quarter while USC's players actually seemed to get stronger as the game went on, I couldn't help but wonder if USC strength and conditioning coach Aaron Osmus was given the game ball. He deserved it. Fight on and win. Steve and Poway. P.S. Tell Dan Weber we miss him. We miss him too. We appreciate all you, all of you, and thank you for what you do to deliver top quality USC football news and information. Well, thanks. Yeah, we actually have a voicemail uh, about Dan that we'll play in a minute. But um, I thought, yeah, I mean, they ran. So here's the thing: they ran USC ran 95 plays on offense, and I think was it like 65 on defense, Keely, something like that. Um, Around there, yeah. Yeah, so you you weren't really put to the test as much. Like the offensive players don't necessarily get tired at the same rate. Like Alon Ross St. Brown played like 99 snaps. I think some of the linemen did. Um, so that you know that's good. Um, but if if the defensive backs were out there for 99 plays or whatever, or uh, you know 95 plays, I'd be curious if they cramped up too. I think that's where the test, the good you know the true test would be. But yeah, I I think they looked. I I you know they played their best football in the last three minutes. So, you know, they had to have something, some gas left in the tank. So you got to give some credit to Aaron Osmus for that. Was the cramping a little bit of shenanigans? I know there was talk Maybe. on Twitter about it. Not sure. I think there's some shenanigans going on. We're trying to slow things down, which that's a testament to Trojan Rick, the Trojan offensive scheme that they were trying to slow down. <laughs> so sure. um, I think there's some shenanigans going on for sure. Yeah. But I think there's probably some actual cramps too. And then, yeah. you know, the first time, you have a you can practice and all that stuff, but you had to play in a game. Game and speed, yeah. You're Jack Jones and you're chasing around Amon Rice St. Brown for 95 plays. Like, you probably get pretty tired. I could see you cramping up a little bit. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Makes sense. All right, and then I think that was it for emails, right? We got one yeah. last voicemail, and we'll end this pretty long show. Okay, here we go. Hi, this is uh, Ray from Florida, and did I miss something during the? The, uh, during the uh, off season, about Dan Weber retiring, uh, can you just uh, let me know uh, what happened to him? Uh, and hope he's all right, healthy wise. And um, my one comment about the game is that uh, the offensive line is horrible, and uh, Clay Helton thought they did a great job. So I say that all wraps that up pretty well. Anyway, I hope Dan's fine. I hope he. I would love to to have him back. Uh, you guys did a great job yesterday. Thank you very much. Fight on. All right. Well, thanks for the voicemail, and uh, I love the the game comment was the offensive line is horrible, and then everything else was about other <laughs> stuff. Um, but I, I don't know about horrible, but there was definitely some. I think he said crap. 
crap. Okay. <laughs> None well, of us any better. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say crap, but there was definitely some, some room for improvement there for sure. Uh, and thanks. I'm glad you appreciate the coverage. And if, you know, we talked about this on the podcast before, uh, but Dan Weber did, uh, you know, retire from covering USC football, been doing about 20 years and he's moved on. He moved back to near his family, uh, you know, Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area. He's, he's healthy as far as I know. And, uh, I know he's missing it. We miss him like we mm-hmm. talked about before. So, and especially Keely, cause she worked with him so closely on all those instant analysis reports. Yeah, and even this podcast, it's weird. I'm I'm used to the I wanted the the Dan Snark after this game. This was this was a game that was built for Dan Snark and it was just like, oh, it just cut a little deeper, but uh we're we're trying to keep it going even though Dan's not here, but uh hoping he's doing well out in his homeland of Kentucky. Yeah. And it, there was definitely some good snark there. And I, we all have our own versions of it, but just <laughs> everyone has a different style, you know. Mm-hmm, and yeah. Dan had a very unique style, the way he would, you know, deliver some of that and some of the questions he would ask. So we, we miss all that. The first game without Dan and, you know, I don't know, it's been like 15 years since he's worked with us or something like that's, it was a, it was a little tougher. Like, like he said, I cut a little deeper, but uh, we miss him terribly and, uh, you know, wishing him our best, but he's, he's healthy. He's, he's fine. He made the decision to, to move back and, uh, you know, we'll see. I think he's going to try to do some writing coaching, but. Um, you know, there might be some work he can do with some of the, the high schools there that he had worked with before. He was a former SID, former, you know, high school coach. He's done a lot of different stuff. So, um, you know, th- what he told us was he was looking to, and he posted a really cool, uh, message on the peristyle on uscfootball.com. If you want to go back and, and find that and check it out. But, you know, it was just, this was kind of going to be his last year in his mind covering the team. And then the COVID stuff sort of kind of ruined everything. So it just made sense for him to kind of move on what he did. So, but again, we'll miss him. We miss him here on the podcast, but uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing it with Keely and uh, Keely, hopefully having fun with this and also doing uh, instant with shotgun. Yeah. I mean, it's different. I'm trying to evolve as the, the, what it looks like, you know, it's, it's weird just covering the team in a pandemic and then having Dan leave, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting evolution of, of what is required of me, but I'm trying to step up to the plate. How about that? You are definitely doing a great job, Keely. So we appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. All right. Well, everyone else, wait, can I cut that out? I don't want that to go out on the air. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> the just trolling. Kidding. You got to throw in a troll, Ryan. <laughs> I did. Just a little kind of slight troll afterwards. But, sure, sure. Uh, good stuff, Keely. And uh, looking forward to your report um, from Tucson. So yeah. Keely will be out there if the game's happening, cross fingers. And uh, Chris Trevino will be out there. And Shotgun and I will be home doing the same thing that you know you can almost the same thing you can do we'll we'll be on the zoom calls after the game trying to get over we can <laughs> with interviews and uh we might do me and shoddy might do a a little halftime tunnel vision like i did uh this previous game wow. so i did i did a solo version so me and shoddy might get together and try to do that not together but we'll just do it remotely and uh try and do that Twelve thirty game local uh 1 mo- mountain time uh on Fox again. So you get Joel Klatt and uh, Gus Johnson and Jenny Taft again. So I, I guess they're not doing a big noon kickoff. Uh, do you know what the, how that's working, Keely? Like they're not doing it in the 9 a.m. game. They're just doing a 1231. Yeah, I guess so. No, I don't I don't fully know what the, the, the deal is supposed to be. So, yeah, but they I'm get the, the number out. one Fox crew two weeks in a row. And uh, we'll have a preview podcast, too. I'm going to talk to Jason Shear. So he publishes Wildcat Authority part of 24 seven sports. So I, that'll probably go up on Wednesday. 
Um, so make sure you stay tuned for that. We'll have a family feud podcast going up, um, Wednesday night, we're going to have tunnel vision. So we'll have a, a tunnel vision podcast going up. Well, we got a lot, like, study. There's a lot of things, a lot of stuff, uh, coming up. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com. But even if you're just on this podcast feed, yeah. we're probably putting up six shows a week or so, or, you know, that's, it's kind of crazy. So yeah. <laughs> Clear your yep. calendar. Make sure you listen every day. You got something to listen to. USC Lots football of content. Lots of content. All right. Well, that is Keely Yor. I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning into the Parastyle Podcast. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.